G'day, welcome to episode 114 of the New Sphere Podcast. I am your host, Trek. I am back down in Melbourne today for the last episode. It's a it's a dual it's a dual interview today, though. It's something a little bit out of the ordinary. We've got an innovative product created by David Hallamore called Scorkle, and I got Luke Growney, the one of the co-founders of Nine Pin Wetsuits down there in Melbourne. I've got a nine pin suit. I love it. And David Hallamore from Scorkle got on and backed our Kickstarter, 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing, and hence why he's on the show today. So it was great to catch up with these two characters. I got out for a full day diving with, with Luke. So part one of today's show is all about Scorkle, which is a compressed air, basically like a pony bottle that can give you an extra few breaths if you're diving uh, reasonably shallow and just want a little bit of extra time on the bottom, and it's legal to use compressed air in your part of the world. It's not for everyone. There's an ethical discussion around using compressed air, and um, people have strong opinions about it, particularly freedive spear fishermen. So have a, have a good listen, and have a listen to the ideas behind this product. He's a really interesting character. He used Kickstarter with the crowdfunding model, same as we did with 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing. He did, however, raise a little bit more money, I believe, somewhere in the order of $1.3 million on this first round of funding. Now, so is a really interesting uh, product, and uh, we're going to have a bit of a chat about that in part one of today's interview. After that, I'm going to go down with uh, Luke Growney. We talk a little bit about nine-pin wetsuits. Uh, I've ended up buying a suit myself. He also sponsored the 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing crowdfunding campaign. So it's really cool to catch up with these two guys who supported us a long time ago when we did the 99 Tips crowdfunding campaign. So awesome. I really enjoyed today's interview. This rounds out Melbourne uh, for the big trip. So thanks to all the supporters on Patreon.com. You guys uh, helped to make this trip happen. So raised... Um, over 800 US dollars, that more or less paid for the Melbourne trip. So next trip, head it up if you are looking to support us on patreon.com. The next trip scheduled is for February. It's loosely penciled into New Zealand. Hopefully I can go over there and shoot a big, massive yellowtail kingfish. I'd love to do that. It's been on my list for a long time. Um, but anyway, let's hook into today's interview and wrap this Melbourne series up. Today's Dynamite Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by spearfishing.com.au. That's right, the fine folks over at Adreno have been supporting the Noob Spiro podcast since about episode 18, and they help pay the bills around here. Just want to encourage you to check out spearfishing.com.au and use the code Noob Spiro. You can save 20 bucks on every purchase over 200 but it's just a great online shopping experience. The reviews are phenomenal. If you want to check out a new spear gun, new pair of booties, new pair of gloves, someone's used them before, they've written a review, it's on their website, it's all there right for, there for you. Head along to spearfishing.com.au and thank you for shopping with it. Today's major sponsor, Adrena. So g'day Noob Spiro community. I'm still down here in Melbourne and... Uh, Guess who came to the New Spirit Community Night at the Adreno store? It was David Hallamore who got on and backed our Kickstarter project for 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing about a year ago now. And I've uh, been waiting to do this interview with him. He's got a, a neat, unique little product uh, that's taken some time to get to market. Um, but he's shown me a lot of the videos and we've had a good look at it and uh, I'm quietly impressed. Uh, and uh, so it's awesome to get you on the show finally, David. So just... Um, Welcome. Thanks very much for having me, Shrek. Um, yeah, it took me a, a little bit longer to actually get this interview organised because it took me so long to get this product to market. But um, yeah, that, that's why it was sort of good to be able to talk, talk it through properly with you today. And your Kickstarter project was exactly the same as ours. We raised a huge amount of money. Um, I think we sold $15,000 on Kickstarter and you sold $1.3 million. So any comments on that? Well, uh, yeah, a little, pr pretty much the same. <laughs> pretty much the same. Um, no, so, uh, you know, uh, I had, had put a lot of effort into trying to get this product up and running and, and, and uh, really gave the Kickstarter a crack because I thought it would be the perfect sort of platform to sort of test to see if people were willing to buy it. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was really cool and it was, it was funny actually, I had a bit of a, one of those moments where I'd spent sort of six months preparing for it and I'd spent all this money you know, building the prototype and preparing for the Kickstarter launch. And like the day, the, the week before, I was just getting the massive horrors going, you know, there's no one, who's going to want this? Like, I'm probably the only person in the world that actually thinks this is really cool. Mm -hmm. But luckily enough, um, you know, it, it wasn't true and there was a few few more people out there. 
Yeah, it's a shot in the dark. I mean, I, I kind of relate to you. Um, our planning was um, cut short. Um, we were going to put this huge timeline on it, and I was just like, nah, we're going to get it done. Um, I think Kickstarter and Indiegogo are both fantastic platforms for connecting people with um, unique products, and they're not made by massive corporations that have just thrown money at stuff and having a go. Um, this is for everyday people with a good idea, and I think you definitely had a good idea. So let's talk about Scorkle. What, what, what is it? So Scorkle is effectively just like a, a, a shallow water, underwater breathing apparatus. So it's pretty much just like a, a mini scuba tank, um, but instead of strapping something to your back, you've just got a small portable one that hangs out of your mouth. That means you can breathe underwater. Uh, it's, it's certified to six metres depth, and uh, the, the regular Scorkle has the equivalent... It fills up to 200 bar, so it has the equivalent of either... 68 breaths in it or or 80 breaths in it depending which model you buy but um what it was was just a sort of like scratching an itch for me so having scuba dived for a long time but not necessarily being someone that went out there every weekend ever since mm. uh, it was more just like a sporadic thing mm. but also being a keen uh sort of amateur or you know spear diving or, or free diving and and just water person just sort of finding something that 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 took me a little bit beyond my natural ability or the ability where I hadn't necessarily put the time and the effort into becoming like a bit an expert of either free diving or fish fishing and but still being a real person that loves the water and just going okay well this is sort of something that sort of expands my natural abilities and just a whole heap of fun. I think there's a real gap that you spotted too because a lot of people um, aren't fit enough immediately to have a good crack at um, freediving and both freediving and scuba diving really, I mean freediving doesn't require a course but in order to be competent it's either a lot of time in the water with someone who can teach you some things or do you do a course? With scuba diving, there's huge entry barriers in terms of doing an open water course before you can even dive to 80 metres. So I think um, the Scorkle is kind of unique in the fact that you don't you don't need a certification to be able to use it. However, there's definitely some safety concerns which I really want to chat about as well. Is that kind of how you sort of see it fitting in? Yeah, exactly. The, the Scorkle, it's pretty much just, you know, somewhere in between snorkelling and scuba. So, you know, for, forever there's only ever been snorkeling and then there's been scuba and there's sort of been 15 meters in between them mm. other than say free diving which is sort of almost you know a little bit different and so this uh because it's specifically meant not meant to be going to sort of 18 30 meter deep for sort of 45 minutes at a time it is much more so sort of your, your ability to use it at sort of depth and for time is restricted but at the same time because it is compressed air that you're breathing, mm. there are inherent risks uh, which you would normally learn doing, say, a scuba diving course, and which I have to sort of, you know, stress. And it's very important is a real, um, effectively life-threatening risk um, that I need to make sure my customers are aware of. And because I'm, uh, because it's available, uh, you know, sort of off the shelf, mm. so you don't necessarily need to uh, show that you've done like a, a scuba diving course, and you can you can buy it anyway. Mm. It does have those safety risks um, much more than, say, like snorkeling would. Yeah, there's risks with snorkeling, there's risks with freediving, there's risks with scuba diving, and I guess um, anytime you're into the underwater world, we're dealing with risk. I think the thing with um, compressed air is the fact that um, if you take air down with you, a lot of people don't understand is that at 10 metres, um, if you have a full breath of air at 10 metres, and your lungs are full to capacity, and then you hold your breath and you head to for the surface, um, you can get something called an expansion injury. Uh, and you, you've talked about it, various types of barotrauma. Um, you see it when you haul up a fish from depth and, um, and the, the swim bladder pops um, because uh, it comes up too rapidly. And I think the danger with this is in that first 10 metres, there's quite a, a, a severe pressure gradient between uh, and I guess your product's rated to six meters which probably means that you know you, you're not under you know it's you're not going to get too as much expansion as if you went to 10 however there's a there's a very real risk there how do you how do you approach that so these these pul pulmonary barotraumas like the lung expansion or the lung you know that what well, they exploded lungs sort of safety issue 
those type of things have even been documented as shallow as, say, three, more, three metres or even in swimming pools, is, um, apparently. And so, um, you know, just being at six metres is, doesn't, doesn't sort of preclude those at all. Mm. It's a real... It's, it's the biggest uh, issue that I face with the product and I try to make sure I'm as upfront about it as I possibly can. Um, I think particularly, say, for your audience... Um, who are capable divers, um, they might sort of look at this product and go, oh, fantastic, like I'll just sort of take it down and stay down for longer, uh, which is, you know, part of the appeal, but then without appreciating that if they take a full gulp of air and just don't exhale during the ascent, that they legitimately can damage their, their lungs quite easily. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a big issue um, and... I think, you know, with all with all water sports, with all sort of adventure type activities, there are always risks, and so you know, and there's you know, there's always a risk with using a spear gun and pointing it in someone's head. Mm. Um, so I just have to try to be as upfront as I can about it. Um, try to make sure the messaging there. Try to remind people. Try to make sure as best I can that that message gets out. Um, and you know, I. And that's and that's what I'll do. So I, you know, I don't think with a, with a magic wand it's ever just going to disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have to make sure I'm I'm as upfront and and aware of it as I can be. So I think one way around the safety thing too is when I when I did my scuba diving instructors course, we taught people when they had to do an emergency ascent for whatever reason, which means a very rapid approach from the bottom. Which if you're at depth uh, and you're scuba diving, you've been down for a while, you run a risk of decompression sickness. Um, but I, I think one of the things we got taught was to hum on the way up, and it keeps your airway open. Uh, but I think if you ascent at a normal safe rate and you just breathe normally, you can avoid um, nearly any chance of, uh, of of barotrauma or expansion injury is that kind of your take on it what uh what is sort of clearly stated you know right in front of your face on the regulator is that um not you know neglecting to to exhale during ascent uh can be life-threatening yeah. and so the messaging that i say instead of say you know saying hum mm. is i say just uh whenever you never hold your breath mm. that's just sort of like a basic scuba diving principle it's easy to remember yeah. um but particularly um don't ever neglect to exhale during the ascent so you're breathing continuously in and out but during an ascent never holding your breath so i think again going back to the space i think the scorkle operates in like with scuba diving you've got this uh you've got a big tank on your back it's on, it's on a bcd you've got two regulators uh, and there's a there's a level of complexity to, to uh, understanding how to use that equipment. Uh, free diving, on the other hand, um, while it is freedom in terms of there's no equipment, um, there is a level of competence that you get to need to get to in order to be able to do it even remotely successful. I think there's a huge group in the middle there that would love to explore the underwater world to that sort of five or six metre mark and where all the bright vibrant colours are and they can experience kind of the wonder of the ocean uh, without having to do a $600 certification. So I think there is a, is a good space there for it. It's just um, you know making sure they understand how to do it safely and correctly. What are some of the used groups that you think with, uh, with the Scorkle? Well, I think just for the scorkel, like basically scuba divers, free divers, spear fishermen, um, they're the sort of the classic groups that you would think. But outside of that, there's anyone that's sort of in and around the water and that loves it. So I think boat owners will uh, be particularly uh, interested in it as something which could help them unfill an anchor, an un- unfoul an anchor if it's um, if 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 needed or. Um, inspecting the bottom of a hull or unwrapping a rope around a prop and the boat owner you know the boat recreational boat owner market is huge Um, but I think they'll really get a a kick out of it too because it's just an extra gadget to have in the boat a bit of a Christmas present or something like that for your dad or your brother where all of a sudden you've got something sitting in there you find a nice little spot you find maybe you you're, uh, you're snorkeling and see some craze or there's just something down there that you want to sort of check out and instead of you know gearing up with all the all the scuba gear you just sort of go into the cabin take this out um, duck down and stay underwater sort of you know I say up to 10 minutes depends how deep you go and how, how good you are 
but um, you've just got that there accessible to effectively explore underwater. So yeah, boat owners as well as your, your classic sort of uh, you know underwater explorers. There's times uh, I particularly remember in the early days where I'd get onto a crayfish and you spend a lot of time positioning your body and then getting your hand in the right position and you know really sort of sneaking in and getting to within closing distance and then sometimes something happens and you've got to start it all over again because you, you need to return to the surface for a breath. And I think um, provided you're in a state or a country or a territory where um, it's legal to take crayfish with compressed air, um, it's a great use group for it because um, they can be a, a, a tricky little animal to capture and they're such fun when you do capture them, but sometimes it would be nice just to have that extra one or two breaths just to be able to close on that cray and not rush it because otherwise you snap feelers and legs off and all the rest of it and you never get that crayfish in your hand. So I think that's another real little cool use group for it. Um, again, though, there's just um, the excitement. You, you consume a lot of air as well. So. Yeah, that's right. And <clears throat> there is, uh, like you say, you've, you've got to be doing it in the in, where you're allowed to. But um, there's, you know, that element of scuba diving being less sporting than, say, uh, breath hold mm. um, when you're you know, hunter gathering. But the other really cool thing about the Scorkle is that you can fill it up by hand. So each Scorkle comes with an adapter that lets you refill it directly from a scuba tank or a dive compressor. But the actual big, big appeal, which we sort of hadn't really spoken about yet, sorry, I forgot, sorry, but is that um, it comes with a, well, you can purchase a high pressure hand pump with it, uh, which means you can just fill it up whenever, wherever. And so in that way, that whole hunter-gatherer thing really sort of comes back to it because you've there, you've put the effort in to fill up your, your scorkle the night before uh, or on the boat uh, or wherever you are because it takes, you know, you've got to put your back into it a little bit. Uh, it takes a while to fill. But, you know, you get that reward for the effort and it becomes its own sort of, you know, sporting activity itself. Um, and, yeah, you are breathing compressed air so it's it's not as not as challenging as collecting crayfish uh with breath hold but you've still you know it's still you're still against the elements in in, in just as many ways yeah no no um in cold water like in parts of america they spearfish on scuba and there is a stigma around it and a lot of free dive spearfishermen are exclusively about um, doing it on a breath hole but i think there's there's particularly a group there when they're in the early days and um, there's something about earning your stripes but it's also sometimes about putting food on the table and uh, so i can see a practical use for it and um you know it, it, yeah it's, it is what it is um and a lot of people will be interested in it, i think so in the kickstarter video it says you don't need a scuba certification to use a scorkle at all uh, i think that's awesome because it's a 600 dollars qualification that a lot of people find too big a entry barrier to um getting in the water and having a go so i think that's a, something unique about scorkle is it is that true in every country yeah that's correct trek uh you don't need a scuba certification to use the scorkle despite what we were talking about before, about the very real risks of pulmonary barotrauma lung expansion injuries. Um, but one of the major reasons why it's important to do a scuba certification is around decompression sickness, or as most people know, something called the BENS, more familiar known as the BENS. The BENS occurs because of a buildup of nitrogen, and the two major factors for that are time underwater and depth. Now, the scorkle being a shallow water, small cylinder breathing apparatus means you, you're just massively limited for how long you can spend underwater and how deep you can go. So as I mentioned, it's, it's rated to six metres. You shouldn't be using it below six metres. And also there's, you know, at, when, it, when it's full, there's 80 breaths or 68 breaths in it, depending on the model size. And um, that just means you, I say up to 10 minutes underwater and you're doing that if you're, if you're, a, if you're a good, experienced, relaxed diver. But then for the novice out there that's chewing through there, they're only sort of getting between sort of two to five minutes out of it. Uh, and so something as serious as decompression sickness, uh, which is a major part of certification, just sort of isn't really a factor at all. 
I just remember um, when I started doing scuba diving in New Zealand, we were diving in 20 metres uh, in dirty water, so 60 feet for our American listeners, um, and I would go through an entire tank of, ga- uh, of, of air in, in 20 minutes. 20 metres, 20 minutes, going for crayfish, because I was just so excited, I was chewing through the air. I think being relaxed underwater, it's, it's, it's a um, good, good part of free diving, obviously, but probably has a lot of benefits to getting good air economy out of um, out of a little tank of air as well so that's pretty cool um, how, how long so you've got a full tank of air you can you can get up to 10 minutes is that is that kind of a typical use case or is that kind of uh, an exceptional athlete yeah it's it's 10 minutes is definitely at the top end of of the uh, of what you can get out of the scorgle um, and the, the the math sort of roughly works out like this so there's there's uh, 68 breaths in a scorkle in a regular size scorkle cylinder 80 in the bigger one uh typically you you'll sort of they they say that the the respiration rate of a normal uh diver is between 12 and 25 breaths per minute and so that works out if you just sort of divide 68 or 80 by by 12 and 25 sort of three to five minutes worth of air um but that's at surface pressures. And so for the non-divers, non-scuba divers out there, what, what you learn is that the deeper you go under compressed air, the faster you chew through the air. And it works out that at 10 metres, you chew through double the amount of air that you use at the surface. Mm. And so to be getting 10 minutes out of the scorkle, you're, you're breathing sort of once every uh, you're breathing seven times a minute mm. rather than 12 to 25. Mm. But that's an inhale and exhale cycle of sort of once every 10 seconds. Mm. So if you sort of just imagine yourself sort of doing that, it's definitely possible. But as you dive, you know, and become more experienced, you'll just realise it's, it's pretty easy to sort of chew up air if you're moving fast and you're excited and it's, and it's, and it's all about mastery. Mm. So in the same way that, you know, you get better and better at free diving, you, you get better and better at scorkling as well. The, the pump, I was impressed with the items themselves. I've had a good look at, uh, at all of the, like the scorkle, the pump. Uh, the equipment is robust. It's well made. Uh, you haven't rushed it. Uh, it's not, it doesn't feel um, like something that came out of a, a factory in the, in the in, you know, like in the outskirts of uh, some war-torn country or something like that. Uh, it's, it's really well made, sort of high-quality stuff, so I was impressed with that. And uh, ha- tell us a little bit about the journey from, you know, raising all that money on Kickstarter to kind of getting it where it is today where you've just shipped out a whole bunch to some of your Kickstarter backers. When I initially launched the product on Kickstarter, it was mid-2017, and I had hoped to be able to, because I'd made plenty of prototypes before then, and the product was effectively, I'd been using it for, my, you know, a year myself, I had hoped to just get it to market within six months. But what I then did is I wanted to make sure it got properly tested and certified to international standards. And uh, that was sort of just part of the plan originally anyway, but I expected that process to be much quicker. And it ended up taking about a whole year and a little bit more, longer than a year extra to be able to go through that. And so the, um, the basic sort of classic scuba regulator standard, something called EN excuse me, 250, and that uh, is what all your scuba regulators are uh, certified to. Um, That's the same standard that the Scorkle is certified or was tested to, but obviously because it's tested to six metres rather than 40 metres, it's not exactly the same, but, you know, that's the the depth is the only difference. And to do that, I was over in, uh, in Florida at a US Navy diving testing facility, the same one that does effectively all the testing for the US Navy um, new gear uh, for the better part of a year. Okay. And that was, that was, it, it, it was frustrating for the people that had purchased the product that had to wait an extra year. Mm. Um, and it was frustrating for me because I obviously wanted to get it to market, but it was just one of those sort of non-negotiable things. You know, you've, you make a product that's as important to people's safety as this, 
and I just sort of wanted to make sure I sort of did everything the right way, which took a bit longer, but I think it was it was definitely worth it. You've got a couple of different case options there. I've had a look at the big deluxe option, which um, I think if I was going to invest in it, that's what I'd look at because you can fit two squawkles in there. You can fit the pump, which is it's a heavy-duty item. Um, it's got a couple of different items in there. Just um, can you fill us in on what's in there and what you would kind of get if you went that way, and can you travel with it? Yeah, funnily enough, so when I, you know, just sending a product to market and seeing what people, um, if they want it and what they're willing to pay for it and all that sort of stuff, the funny thing was that it was actually the most expensive item, the big full package that people wanted more than everything. Like that was the biggest selling one. And that was because what that provided was, you know, the full kit, two score holes, a hand pump, the scuba tank refill adapter, the compressor refill adapter and a big cool waterproof carry case and so i think it's sort of like that thing in for a in for a penny in for a, in for a pound sort of thing if i'm going to get something i might as well get the whole gear or at least get the good version of it um so instead of just getting say one scorkle which is which is quite cheap really it's like 229 us dollars i sell it for the the full pack which goes for 916 us dollars or something like that which has sort of the four items was the was the best selling, um, but yeah. So I've got the two two size scorkles, uh, as I mentioned before. I've got the hand pump option, which means you can fill it independently by yourself if you want to. Uh, and then I've got two size cases. I've got the big one that fits the hand pump, and I've got a smaller one that just fits two scorkles, which is sort of perfect if you just want to, you know, sort of carry it around almost like a you know handbag almost type sort of thing. But that's that's really cool and waterproof too. And then I've got a uh, an extra little cool thing, uh, a retractor, which means you can affix it to a dive belt if you want. So if you're there on the surface snorkeling, looking around for craze or something like that, and you want your hands free, um, you can just sort of stow it on your on your waist, on your on your dive belt, and then if all of a sudden you're down there, you want to take a couple of breaths. Off, off it comes off your off your waist, stick it in your mouth, breathe a couple of times, and then you, you can almost you just let go of it, and it'll retract to your waist. And um, you know, hopefully over time, I'll develop a few more um, accessory items. And I think as people use it, I'll come to understand a bit better How what, yeah, exactly what is and isn't working. And I think suggestions from from customers, I think, will be really helpful with that. I remember when I when I was young and I did my scuba diving instructor's ticket. Uh, part of it was spending a month in Tonga, and a lot of where I was in this outer island group called Vavau, they have um, these islands that come out of uh, hundreds of meters of ocean, and then they have this sort of this coral uh, ledge attached to it, and it steadily drops down to ten meters, and then it just plummets to you know, whatever depth, you know, 200 metres, uh, keep going. And it's this beautiful, clean, clear water, but the 10-metre the, the coral sort of uh, mark, the light and the amount of life in that coral was just phenomenal. There's like, you could spend an hour just looking at a very small uh, moray eel that you've never seen before, and you could interact with it. And and I think that, you know, the ability to spend, say, three or four minutes just down there just interacting with like a, a clownfish or, you know, something like that and a bit of plate coral, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing experience and uh, it helped me fall in love with the ocean which ultimately led to freediving and all the rest of it. And I think perhaps the Scorkle could serve as like a bit of a, a gateway drug uh, for uh, for a lot of ocean users, whether they move on into doing a full scuba certification or whatever. But there, there's kind of this in-between space that I think it's kind of cool for and uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool little item. I'm, um, I'm stoked you got on our Kickstarter and, and, and brought it to my attention. Um, I'm not sure how many Spiros will, will take it up. Um, it's an interesting idea just to see what will happen. I'd, I'd really like to meet some of the people that got on and backed your original Kickstarter just to see how they're going to use it. I wonder if they are going to travel to to um, some of these remote tropical islands and, and, and dive those shallow coral reefs because I think it's a perfect um, item for it. Yeah, you know, it's spot on. And, and what, I, what I forgot to sort of say before just around the travel aspect is because – it is small and portable, and I've made these carry cases. They're purposely constructed so that you can you can take it as uh, airplane luggage, either as checked or as um, hand luggage. Mm. And the reason why is because the regulator just very easily detaches from the cylinder, and that's the requirement that that airlines have is just that you show that you have a, a non-pressurized cylinder, mm. and that's sort of super easy with the carry cases. Um, you know, and imagine that compared to carrying your own sort of scuba gear, sort of island to island, or even having to rent it somewhere where you where you can't. 
or you don't want to or it's too expensive or whatever you, you know you've got your own sort of kit wherever you go now I, I pump up my bike tires every now and then on my road bike and it, i get a good sweat on just even doing that i'd imagine pumping up a cylinder is a hell of a lot of work so it's nice that there's another couple of options in the fact that you can fill it from another dive tank or you can fill it from a, a compressor provided um that you're allowed to they're allowed to because some of them are very fussy about which cylinders they'll fill but it's great having those three options i think um a lot of, a lot of the time if you're away on those tropical islands you could just um take a larger gas uh, air cylinder with you and fill off that i guess is that kind of what you've seen happen yeah so when i'm on a on a big day out with friends or um you know i'm trying to get lots of quick you know um, back-to-back uses out of it it's much easier to be filling directly from a scuba tank and you know if you are hiring a scuba tank and you've just got the adapter which comes free with every score haul you're just doing that in 10 seconds um and you are right the hand pump it it is you do get a sweat on um it take it ends up being about 10 pumps per breath that you want you obviously don't have to fill it all the way up to 200 bar if you don't i mean it's pretty it's amazing that the pump can even do that because just to explain your 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 car tire you'll filter 30 psi but um, the Scorkel cylinder fills to 3,000 psi, which is 200 bar. And so we're talking about some serious pressure that you need to jam into that cylinder just by hand. So, you know, there's no free lunch. You're not just sort of doing 10 pumps and and just getting 10 minutes out of it. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, you know, you've got the, the scuba tank refill adapter, you've got the dive compressor refill adapter, which just come free. That's really easy. You've got the hand pump option if, if you don't have access to those. And so they just sort of, they're fit for purpose, whichever, you know, comes, uh, you know, makes sense at the time. And then eventually I'm hoping, you know, it depends how long it takes for me to just finalise. But what I'll do is I'll be, I'll be releasing a, a little electric compressor too. And I'm really excited for that because that will be, you know, you plug that in either maybe 12 volt or just sort of off your car or your boat engine battery. Mm. And that might be only sort of like a five, 10 kilogram little compressor. Mm. And you just sort of sit there pumping away sort of for five minutes. And, you know, that's almost the best of both worlds. Although that'll be a little bit more expensive than, say, the hand pump. So, you know, it's just there'll be a range fit for purpose for, for, um, for whatever makes sense at the time. Where can people check it all out? Like, um, is there, have you got a YouTube channel? Have you, uh, have you got some videos up? People can come and see some demos. Oh, I'm glad you asked, Shrek. <laughs> um, so just because I've been focusing like for two years just to try to get this to market, it really, it's been hard to find to buy. And I've sort of done that on purpose. Um, but as of very recently, I've just finally uh, made it available to the public. And the the only way to purchase it is at scorkel.com. And that's C. Uh, S-C-O-R-K-L. Just sort of like scuba and snorkel combined, yeah. but without the E. So S-C-O-R-K-L.com. And so that's just like a web store. You can buy like a pre-sort of organized pack, you know, the most popular packs, or you just purchase whichever items you want and build that build that yourself. And then, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe in a couple of years I'll, I'll, I'll be in, in retailers, but for the moment I'm just trying to sort of get the uh, the e-commerce side of things running 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 well that's awesome i love uh, i love innovation and i like seeing new stuff come come to market um you know a lot of the time when you have new products there's uh there's inherent risks that people want to make sure they're discussed but i think we've given them a good coverage today and we've had a bit of a chat about some of the risks particularly around expansion injuries um you know people just have to make sure that they're breathing regularly on the way up particularly exhaling to um to reduce that risk so uh yeah man real pleasure to get you on the show and thanks for backing our kickstarter the 99 tips to get better at spearfishing uh launched and that we were pretty proud of that turbo and i had a good crack at it as well we didn't raise anywhere near as much money as you did but uh congrats to you and uh on a successful launch and and, f- and finally getting this thing to market so uh, it's a bloody impressive effort um is there some youtube videos i can link up in today's show notes yeah i'll uh, i'll send you through a couple i've got um the on the website uh, there's sort of like a little blog section where I sort of feature trips I've done to Thailand and the Bahamas and all this sort of cool stuff. But itself, there's a there's a Scorkle YouTube channel which has all the instructional videos as well as those big sort of dive trip type sort of things which really showcase the cool things you can do with it. And you'll sort of see that a, a bunch of those are sort of um, almost lifestyle type sort of videos as well i mean that's part marketing but also part you know reality because the um 
the Scorgle, the whole, you know, it's really trying to sort of get away from scuba diving, be a bit, 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 bit stodgy and old mm. without offending anybody. <laughs> but, um, you know, this is just your sort of your, your light, fun, shallow thing that you're taking with friends. You sort of you go out, head out for a day, you have a couple of beers when you sort of come back. And, um, you know, it's really trying to bring a bit of sort of fun excitement back to that sort of day trip sort of stuff. So, yeah, there's a, f- a bunch of those on the YouTube Scorkle channel and I'll, uh, I'll send, you, send you a link for that as well. When I spent a lot of time out on the water, there was definitely some little um, unique times where something like this would have been handy, um, like unfouling an anchor and checking a hull and things like that. I can definitely see um, some 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 utility out of the item as well as some appeal from a recreational point of view so um yeah cool there's definitely going to be people that are interested in it man i i um so i applaud your success so thanks for joining me today and uh bloody good chatting with you david beautiful thanks very much Shrek. Today I've got a sweet offer for you. To go with this free episode of the Noobspero podcast, I've got access to some free courses. How cool is that? Go to noobspero.com forward slash Ted. Now Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving, a frequent guest on the Noobspero podcast, has got several free courses available at noobspero.com forward slash Ted. Check it out, Freediving Safety. There's a full video course about how to avoid shallow water blackout, how to be a good buddy, all is the fundamentals of just being a good safe Spiro and it's all free. Check it out, nospiro.com forward slash Ted. There's another one in there as well about how to take a 20 to 30% bigger breath, which will give you more fuel, more time on the bottom and uh, make you a more effective Spiro. There's also a whole lot of other courses there as well. Check them out, get a 15% discount, nospiro.com forward slash Ted. So that was David Hallamore, the founder of Scorkle, and uh, really enjoyed hearing about another innovative product. It's awesome to see in the underwater world. I like seeing sort of new stuff come out and people try stuff. So Scorkle, if it's for you, have a, have a look into it. Anyway, I just wanted to give another quick announcement before we head into my chat with Luke Growney. The 2020 US Freshwater Nationals are going to be held at Beaver Lake in Arkansas in August, early August. I'd encourage you to get on, have a look at some of the details there. So it's the World Freshwater Spearfishing World Championships held at Beaver Lake in Arkansas in August next year. I'm going to try and get over there, but uh, we'll see how we go. And uh, Hey, let's, let's head into this next part of the interview with Luke Granny from Nine Pin Wetsuits, who I really enjoyed getting out with for a day's diving. Today's Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by patrons just like you. If you enjoy the show, love it if you came over to patreon.com and support the Noob Spiro podcast. Basically, Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get paid. And we have a Noob Spiro Patreon. Basically, there's three levels that you can support us at. $2 an episode, $5 an episode, or $10 an episode, and you'll get some unique benefits. You're gonna get early access to content. Uh, You're gonna get first choice, first recommendations for guests in the future. And occasionally, for some patrons, we're even just gonna give you a call and catch up with you. But uh, it'd be great you could get on patreon.com forward slash come and support us so g'day noob Spiro community um welcome to today's episode um had a bit of a sport day actually it's um day three in melbourne and today i got taken out by luke Growney. we're sitting out the back of his place um finishing off coffees and we're about to crack a beer um, we got out for a bit of Melbourne diving. The weather looked absolutely atrocious, and then we got out there, and the bloody conditions surprised us, Luke. Yeah, uh, typical Melbourne, four seasons in one day, and yeah, it does that a lot. <laughs> so, um, I mean, the boys all told me when I come down, they were like, "You're coming down at the wrong season. It's a week before crayfish open up. Um, the southern bluefin tuna aren't around. Um, kingies aren't in yet because the water's still too cold, and um, it was cold. We had somewhere between." 14 degrees in some places, I think maybe max 16 in others. Um, the old five mil suit got a workout today. Is um, is that pretty much pretty standard for Melbourne? Yeah, that's um, just another day in Melbourne. Cold weather, no fish. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's um, pretty standard. Um, yeah, so five mils definitely definitely a requirement this time of year anyway. So we um, we launched this. Uh, this morning, late this morning, it was maybe 9.30 and the weather was going to be like 
um, 20 to 25 knots and we got out there it was maybe five five knots and uh, we went straight out can you just give us people a rundown of sort of where we went and um, yeah, is that standard for a Melbourne day out? Yeah pretty pretty standard runs from here uh, launching at Sorrento um, shooting outside the uh, rip and Port Phillip Heads rip which I don't think I've ever seen it that calm. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I talked it up that it's going to be pretty nasty today, and it turned out one of the best of days I've seen it, um, which is always good. And then, yeah, trolled them, sounded around a few reefs, usual no fish. Um, yeah, down at Barwon Heads, hoping to see something, birds, fish, dolphins, anything. Um, yeah, but nothing at all. So. And the wreck? Ah, yeah, the Canberra wreck. Um, which is dead. Dive that, which I think the mast is about five metres, six metres. Yeah. Um, yeah, right down to in 30 metres of water for those that are that interested. Which, yeah, that's always pretty cool to see some good fish life around it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, there was some good swim throughs. It was bloody, it was bloody good fun, actually. I just had a top day out. Um, I knew when I come down here that I wasn't coming down here at ideal like fish seasons and stuff. Well, the weather was good. We were out in your um, 17R Haynes boat, and uh, what a bloody magic ride. I had a, had a cracker day out. So it's nice to have a beer and sit on the back lawn and, and, and get a bit of a chat. So I first come across you through Nine Pin. Um, you guys, you sponsored uh, the 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing book and uh, got involved in that. So I ended up buying one of your suits. They're bloody well-made suits. So it's nice to connect with you in person. Can you give me a little bit of an um, overview of how you started spearing and then and how you eventually own a spearfishing business making wetsuits? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, from what I hear, it's a pretty common story. I started surfing first. Um, I was late into surfing, about 19. Got my license, drove down the beach and gone, I want to surf. So taught myself and did all that. Ended up moving down to the beach to live the surfing lifestyle and um, then realised that there's flat days with no surf. What do we do? <laughs> so, yeah, ended up, you know, very, very basic spearfishing setup. Um, still going out in the surf wetsuit in the middle of winter. No hood, gloves, booties, any of that. Freezing cold in Melbourne. Um, yeah, and sort of got, got hooked there. And then quite a few years later, with a few back injuries, I... Um, can't really surf that much anymore and spearfishing took over yeah it was good the more I did it the more I enjoyed it and then you know started getting onto bigger fish better fish and then getting other people onto fish yeah. I thought yeah this is awesome this is um especially getting the boat opened up a lot of a lot of things that I wasn't expecting and yeah coming from having the being out in the uh, surf wetsuit Realise how bad that is, especially in Melbourne. Uh, just at the time, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't working much and not feasible to spend, you know, four or five hundred dollars on a wetsuit, on top of just surfing wetsuits and everything else. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, one day I'm like, well, I couldn't do it. There's a lot of people that can't. Why can't I get a quality wetsuit cheaper? So, thought, yeah, started looking into it and realised that well, we can get it done, and try and keep that cost down. So. People aren't out there freezing in a surf wetsuit. <laughs> oh well, let, let's 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 hook into nine pin. So, I mean, so you, what you started some prototypes? It was you and a buddy. What, what what? How did it sort of originate? No, it started off. I started looking into it and sent a few emails out to manufacturers and that sort of stuff to get something happened. And um, yeah, and then saw online that there was a small spearfishing wetsuit business for sale. So I'm like, oh well, that saves you know a lot of legwork and the hard work of trying to find someone, I'll go and check them out. And, um, yeah, checked them out. Instantly loved the suits. You know, I liked them. I ended up buying your biggest size, which was an XL. <laughs> and, and, and you know that you've met me, you know that I'm an easily, I'm easily a 2XL, just about everything. Um, so, but I've, I've worn that suit and it took about three dives for it to sort of stretch a little bit because, and I don't recommend anyone else does that. Um, like some people say buy a suit a little bit too small for you because it's better because it'll be tight a, a nice sort of tight fit which allows less water in there and all the rest of it uh and this but the suit's awesome now uh and and we as well it's very warm for a three mil suit what are your offerings and um i mean what what what's your bread and butter suit i mean you you make a three mil what else you make yeah the three mil and the five mil are both pretty standard um yeah we've just got the plain black ones which are more geared towards a free diving wetsuit um, yeah, the low waist cut, 
pants, um, chest loading pads a little bit thinner, but a great, great entry level suit. And then we've also got our camo wetsuit that's, um, yeah, three and five mil as well, but geared more towards around spear fishing and keeping warm. You know, they've got the extra long John style pants and extra thick loading pad. I think compared to other suits, like um, similar thickness, um, maybe your suit, like, this is just pure anecdotal bro science here, um, but I think um, it, it feels like a warm suit. Like, um, have you had that commented on much, that it's, well, it's a little bit warmer than other suits of a similar sort of thickness? Yeah, we have had that a bit. Um, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of companies seem to go, especially with the long john pants, they use a thinner material for that top half, whereas we opted to keep it 5 mil the whole way through. So, you know, you've got at least 10 mil covering the chest, keep it warm and, yeah. No one wants to walk around the 7 mil with that much weight yeah. hanging off you, so if you can get away with a 5, it's heaps better. So you, you mocked Melbourne diving earlier, but you're a little bit spoilt, really. I mean, but it's quite seasonal here. Like, um, all of the species are seasonal. Um, the crayfish season is in a two-month closure at the moment. But then you have kingfish come through, but that's really only summer months. Um, you've got southern bluefin tuna, but they come different. You've got squid, which come in waves as well. Everything seems to be seasonal, and I've seemed to have missed a lot of it. But then, like, we come in today, we didn't really get onto any fish, um, despite doing some deeper dives and, and going over quite a bit of reef. Um, didn't really manage to find anything apart from some reefies. But we come in and we smash some scallops and we got some mussels and um, even some oysters. Um, that's a that's a real pro to Melbourne diving, I reckon. Yeah, it's one thing I think we do over a lot of the other states. The shore diving and just going out to get a feed is a, a lot easier down here. There's plenty of days you can get out and, as you said, just you know get a feed of scallops, squid. There's always some flathead floating around somewhere, um, flounder, all those basic bread and butter fish that are actually great eating so what happened today with the flounder you, you got some flounder what happened uh trying to be greedy um didn't didn't have a gun on me get collecting scallops um forgot that my knife had um broken off a couple of dives ago and i'm still yet still yet to replace that so i thought well i can grab these by hand and yeah managed to get the first one two hands and get a good grip and yeah swimming back that back to the boat i saw another one uh, <laughs> For me, I thought I could be confident and yeah, I can do this, you know, one in each hand. Uh, subsequently lost both fish, which, um, yeah, learning curve. I should have just stuck with one <laughs> or had the gun on me. Uh, awesome. So, um, like going back to when you started, um, you, you, it sounds like you were, you were broke, um, which is, I think, a lot of guys starting out, you know what I mean? Like, we've got very limited budget with equipment. A lot of people get themselves into trouble when they first buy their first lot of equipment. They try and go too cheap on stuff. And, and there's definitely some things you need to buy once and buy it right. Um, wetsuit's probably one of them, especially when you're diving in Melbourne. I'm in a 5 mil, and I've got 3 mil booties and gloves on, and I'm finding that I, I could do with 5 mil booties. And uh, But the suit's been okay. Um, I'm wearing a 5 mil Arapik down here because um, I don't have a 5 mil uh, nine pin suit, but uh, <laughs> but um, that wasn't a hint. Um, but like, um, you, you definitely need to. You can't skimp on a suit down here. I think um, you've got to buy you buy something and buy it right. Um, did you make any other failures with gear? Um, what did you do right? What did you do well? What did you? Where did you? What did you not do well? Uh, things I did right. I think we're borrowing most of my gear. <laughs> yeah, I had some very generous friends that you know. We're all sort of single blokes living in a house that, you know, would mix and match whoever had what and sort of make complete sets of gear out of what we had um, and made do. Um, the one good thing I did do was probably couldn't afford it at the time but bought a decent gun. Um, that was that uh, Picasso acid guy thing is that we were talking about. Um, was that about 15 years ago I bought that and I still use that today as my go-to bay gun still doing the job which is um yeah it's great i don't know if they still make them anymore but uh yeah it's done really well i find that's a commonality with a lot of guys they they find um a combination a gun combination that works for them and they they stick to it forever your eye gets dialed in you you know exactly what that gun's going to do in every situation but you've um you've upgraded you bought a, a rob allen roller as well how does that how does that thing perform yeah so far love it um yeah very accurate i'm yet to really thrash it i got it sort of at the end of last season so it's only shot a couple of fish um 
to test it out. But yeah, I'm looking forward to getting out and using it a lot more this year. Um, yeah, I went the 1100, which may be a touch big for most of the fish down in Victoria, but I um, thought, oh, I'm covered if that big fish does come past. <laughs> Yeah, nice, and you've you've definitely you've shot a couple of bigger fish too. You've um, the old southern bluefin tuna are out here. Um, chatted with James yesterday about that, and by now that interview will have um, gone out on the Noob Spirit podcast. So, um, what's your experience been with southern bluefin tuna? Um, you've had some some wins. Yeah, some wins, a lot of losses. Um, it probably took us close to three years of going out looking for them and coming home empty-handed. Um, now we've sort of got it pretty old in, um, yeah, getting, definitely getting better at it. Um, yeah, trying to do less big trips, you know, a lot of the guys drive down the coast to get them, which is great and that's good fun. There's a lot more of them, you know, four or five hours away, but family and everything else, it's nice to get them closer to home without the, uh, two day trip. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely one of the favorite fish at the moment. I think Melbourne spearfishing for me is, is a lot like just getting a feed and having fun and and you know I, mean, I think that's kind of a pure way um, to spearfish a lot of the time and uh, the diving out here a lot of the time I don't think it's very glamorous but it's definitely about catching a feed and feeding your family and stuff. Um, tell us a little bit about one of the the more remarkable bluefin catches you've had. I mean, tell me about the conditions, what happened on the day, and how, how the situation sort of played out. Oh, my favourite one was probably the one I mentioned earlier today, was, um, yeah, actually missing one. Uh, one of the first times diving blue water and not realising how good the visibility was. Um, looking at the footage afterwards, I realised I was that shot was nowhere near the tuna, so missed it completely. Uh, when I did miss, though, they came a bit closer, so I sort of threw the gun to the made on the boat and um, dive back in with the camera and it's just that attitude change I think with without a gun and not not down there to shoot anything they knew that and came right up close and just walls of tuna as far as you could see in every direction which um, yeah pretty pretty unbelievable experience. We were out there today and you seem to have a really good uh, like a, almost like a line fisherman's understanding of um, when fish are going to pop up and stuff like you were, you deliberately had us waiting in a location, waiting for that slack tide to hit, and then waiting for a workup to happen. Unfortunately, today it didn't trigger, but I could tell that there was some knowledge there, and you've seen some things there in the past. And you called it. A, um, you said to me, I remember we're going to wait here for a David Attenborough moment. I thought that was bloody, that was pretty clever actually, because you, you know, it's a very visual sort of picture when you say those words like that. Um, what obviously that situation you had was pretty remarkable. Can you can you think of any um, other occasions where maybe you've got lucky and plugged a fish out of a David Attenborough moment? Uh, yeah, I mean there's quite a few of them. Um, yeah, some of the best local ones down home were last year where we had um, kingfish and tuna all in the same school, um, all just going little bait fish, and they were moving fast. It was hard work with two of us on the boat and in and out of the water constantly. Um, yeah, I think we ended up getting two tuna and four kingfish yeah. out of that school. Um, and it was great seeing all the linos get nothing. <laughs> yeah, but that day, yeah, that was a very similar thing. Just documentary stuff with birds bombing everywhere. You know, there was dolphins involved, seals. Everything was just out of control. And I think that was nonstop for about an hour yeah. and then nothing. Yeah. Everything disappeared. Birds gone, fish gone. Don't know what happened. <laughs> Today we went out. There was a fair bit of use of electronics, and um, it's, um, you, you know, you might not be the best person with electronics, but from what I witnessed today, you're far better than I am with the stuff. Um, what are some of the big lessons you've learned with using a GPS, a sonar, and all the rest of the stuff? Like you were turning up, um, uh, like the the. Um, I don't even know how to describe it, what the button is, but the gain. Okay, there you go. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, that one I was using, um, fishing and diving inside Port Phillip Bay is very different to going offshore. Uh, you've got to change the sensitivity pretty constantly. Otherwise, if you've got it set for offshore and you come inside the bay, you'll be picking up weed and you know just all the random stuff that you don't want to pick up. So that needs to constantly change and... Um, with currents and water clarity as well, vary a fair bit down here this time of year. So, yeah, it's just trying to get a better picture 
as best we can. Basically dialing it down until you've got nothing on the screen, until it's all black, and then just coming up slowly until you can start to see a little bit of something. Yeah, there'll always be a little bit of clutter there. So, and you want to see some, but yeah, generally that's about right. Cool. The other thing you did was um, at times we were diving sort of, oh, we were out in 80 metres plus of water and you had it set out quite wide and then you'd bring it right back into 15 or 20 metre increments so you could really see the, the detail. I thought that was pretty neat as well. Um, how do you go positioning yourself off your marks and stuff? Is there a bit of, um, is there a bit of luck to that? I mean, what, what's the story? Yeah, I think most of it's dumb luck. <laughs> Where I can, obviously, you try and take tides and wind into account. And um, yeah, we don't do a lot of anchoring down here offshore. It's a most of it's drifting, um, as we did today, with one in the boat, one in the water. Or yeah, you know, if there's no current, we'll sometimes have two in the water. Um, yeah, if the boat's staying close by. Um, yeah, and then just hoping that we drift back over it. I was surprised at the, at the the wicked structure. I thought it was going to be fairly um, sort of um, barren and rocky, but there was massive bombies coming out. You know, you're talking about eight meter depth changes, and um, there were caves sucked in, and um, weed everywhere, and there was all sorts of stuff happening. It didn't just not a lot happening on the fish front, but there was um, a lot of blue throat rats, and um, jeepers, those things are the seeing eye dogs of the reef down here, and then. Uh, kind of like the blue groper up where we are and then um there was sweep and a bait around and stuff it was, it was a little bit disappointing to not see some of the pelagic action but pelagic action sorry um i'll get corrected otherwise but um when you're taking uh, new people out here what are some bits of advice you give them to help them get their sort of first couple of fish biggest ones relax like i think most people get told that straight away just enjoy it don't think about the fish just um yeah, try to have a bit of fun. Um, yeah, as I say, I love getting other people on the fish. I think it's almost as good as getting them yourself. Uh, yeah, pretty epic scene, you know, especially the newer guys get their first first decent fish. Yeah, actually, I've had a couple of relaxed days diving down here. James is very low-key low um, to dive with. I was diving off his jet ski yesterday around Port Phillip Bay. Today we went outside in your Haynes. It was, it's just been very relaxing diving. Um, what about scary stuff? Have you had any scary shit happen to you out in the water? What What did you sort of, uh, I know you've had a few, what did you learn from it? Yeah, as mentioned earlier, I think I do every dumb thing that I shouldn't do that uh, comes up on the podcast or the, you know, don't dive alone, don't uh, don't let the boat drift off without you, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Um, always great learning experiences. Um, yeah, if you everyone's going to stuff up and make mistakes and do the wrong thing but yeah it's definitely uh how you handle it and Tell us get about losing it. your boat uh losing the boat thankfully i haven't had any too anything too major um have had some very long swims back to the boat yeah. um which you know especially in port phillip bay you can get comfortable going oh it's slack tide nothing's happening the boat's not going to go anywhere and then you look up and it's two kilometres away. <laughs> and, um, yeah, thankfully some good gear and some good fins will uh, make that swim a little bit easier. And all the training you've been doing for ultra marathon uh, running, it just helps for that. Yeah. Hey, um, yeah, well, same diff. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about um, scrounging because I think when we come back in, there was oysters, scallops, mussels. We got a bit of everything. We filled up a bag and uh, and it was a lot of fun. We were in probably three or four metres of water. We had probably six or eight metres of visibility and um, we just filled up a catch bag full of scallops and all sorts of good stuff and I really enjoyed it. It was just, uh, it's more harvesting rather than spearfishing but uh, it's still like a, a, just a fun thing to do and, uh, and obviously food for the family. Tell us a little bit about you know, learning that side of things. Uh, learning it, I, I learned it as more of a breath hold training. Um, yeah, I can't, I don't have the patience to um, sit on a couch and hold my breath and all that sort of stuff. I get bored and distracted quite easily. <laughs> so, you know, doing something like that, especially as you said, you know, you're three to four metres, you know, maybe up to six metres max and you're constantly up and down. Um, so it's great, great training for your breath hold. Uh, so yeah, that breath hold training turned very quickly into, um, hang on, I can get a good feed here. <laughs> and yeah, I don't think there's many out there that'll complain with a feed of scallops and mussels and no oysters. 
yesterday I got out to Eckhart's place and um, him and his uh, wife cooked up some amazing scallops and we had bloody, we had first course was scallops, second course was a blue throat wrasse I shot yesterday um, and they, it was a nice fish to eat and then we had um, calamari um, and we had something else too. Jeepers, it was good, it was just a good Melbourne spread of seafood and I mean obviously those two are machines with cooking but um, it's, a, it's a real treasure. How do you spot, how did you learn to spot scallops from the surface and all the rest of it? Is it just like a monkey see monkey do thing? <laughs> yeah, it probably comes back to that dumb luck thing. Um, yeah, the first couple of times it was just like, oh what's that? Went down, sort of played with it and I'm like, you know, swam up to a mate, I'm like, what the hell is this thing? And he's like, oh, they're scallops. Yeah, where'd you find that one? And yeah, very quickly re realised they're a good, something good to eat. <laughs> so yeah, when you're a couple of um, blokes living in a house, living off, you know, enough to pay the rent and you want to surf the rest of it, it's not bad getting a good feed of scallops. You know, I think we lived off scallops, squid, crayfish and abalone, which, um, yeah, it's not bad when you can barely afford rent. <laughs> the old scallops, I, um, it seems to be you come in, like you come into patches of them. And um, so quite often I, I was able to see one from the surface and then I would sort of position myself above it and then while I was doing that I was looking for the next one and maybe the next one. And then if you could spot two, you'd get them in a line and then sort of like pick up the first one, get the second one and then you could sort of sometimes go on a bit of a run and get a few in a row. I think... I think the best run I did was only about four, but you know, whereas probably guys that do it all the time probably you know get it you know ten or more. Um, is that something you sort of did? Yeah, it's definitely one of those things. The more you do it, the more you start to see them. Um, yeah, they're deceptive as well. A lot of the times you'll see one, and go, oh no, nah, it's a little bit small. If you see it from the surface, yeah, yeah. always worth swimming down and actually have a look at it because you don't know how well they're hidden, what they're buried in. Um, yeah, I think I found some of the biggest ones. Looking at it going, oh, it's tiny. I'll go have a look anyway. And, yeah, they come out all right. And you get the oysters, um, but you're not a big fan of them. Um, and the, the mussels seem to be in numbers as well. But um, one thing you alluded to was you don't get mussels and scallops often in the same place. Yeah, usually there'll be more of one yeah. and less of the other. Um, yeah, I think on some of the best mussel beds, you'll be lucky to get a scallop. Not sure why. <laughs> you know, one of those things to figure out. And... Nah, cool. Definitely good for a feed. Um, I guess I, I, I want to ask you a couple more things. Um, what do you think is maybe one of the, the biggest lessons you've learned uh, in spearfishing? I mean, why is it such an addictive pursuit for you? Like, um, we've ch chatted a little bit about this today, so it's a bit of a leading question. Um, oh, I mean, my favourite part's dead, obviously. Getting... Technically free seafood that's cost a fortune in fuel and exploring and everything. <laughs> no, but at the end, I mean, I I love doing shit. Like love getting out of the house. Just want to explore, do something, see something new. Um, as you know, today, like today, it was pretty calm offshore, but still, you know, only 50 meters away. Every now and then, you'd get a wave that'd break, which yeah, it can all change pretty quick. I was going to ask you some some funny stories you've had out in the ocean. What what's some of the funny moments you've had? Um, funniest one, so oh, funniest ones are always missed fish, either where it's a, whether it's a poor shot or you know if we're line fishing, it's a knot that's got let go, and um, of course, especially the missed fish, they were always bigger than they actually were, and they keep getting bigger every time that story is retold. I think uh, I've missed some pretty small fish, and yeah, by now they're massive. <laughs> yeah, now the best thing, I yeah. As I said before, just love getting out, seeing the stoke in other people as well. And as long as they're having fun, it's always a good trip. You have some dramas with your equalising and stuff like that at times, especially around hay fever seasons and stuff like that. Uh, have you sort of come up with any remedies to keep you out diving? I mean, yeah, what, what's your sort of approach to the whole thing? Usually I'll use some form of eardrops straight after a dive um, to help dry all the water out. And, um, yeah, so I've, yeah have small tubes and everything else plus the hay fever and yeah which i think most people do have um yeah so the only thing is not pushing it as well you know a few years ago i'd just put up with it you know you'd struggle you'd push through dives and then you got three months out of the water because you pushed it too hard yeah. so yeah the big ones just take it easy yeah. and learn to you know that's sort of the joys of having a boat 
if it is starting to hurt, get out of the water. You know, if I can't equalise properly, jump out, have a rest, have something to eat, some water, rehydrate and try again. No, I mean, the, one of the reasons I was asking is it's such a common thing. You know, I've had so many dive buddies where it's equalising that's kind of pulled the day up. And, um, yeah, it's not uncommon. So, no, that's awesome. Uh, what's next for you with spearfishing? Where do you want to go? What new equipment you want to buy? What's the sort of in the future for you with spearfishing? Uh, I think travelling's probably the big one. Yeah, start doing more trips. Um, you know, towing the boat, that's that, that part of the reason I want a smaller boat. Um, easy to tow and good fun. So, yeah, I think the next fish will either be a Spanish mackerel or a dolphin fish. Um yeah, they're very, very high up on the list of ones to shoot. So, yeah, hopefully they'll be next. Ah, awesome, man. Um, well, thanks for taking me out today. Had a bloody good time, and uh, I'm sunburnt as usual. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking forward to coming back down here and diving with you fellas again. Um, we might have something teed up for February in New Zealand, possibly, anyway. So, um, bloody pleasure chatting with you and diving with you today, man. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for coming out. I uh, I tried to talk it down that, you know, the weather would be horrible. We might not even get out there <laughs> and everything else. So, yeah, it was good to actually get on the water and show you around a bit. Unfortunately, no fish, but uh, as always, next time. So as you can tell, I had an absolute blast in Melbourne. Uh, today's two interviews wrapped out my Melbourne trip. I managed to get four interviews done in four days, and as well as two full days diving. It was uh, an exhausting trip, but gee, because some of this, some absolute champions down there in Melbourne. I had an, had an absolute blast. So looking forward to this next next trip coming up to New Zealand in February. Hopefully, I can get over and do that. So thanks to all the guys again on patreoncom Sparrows. Twenty patrons there now supporting the show. About seventy dollars. US per episode so all every single dollar of that goes towards funding trips to come out do live interviews and go diving with you in your area so I'm hoping that I can get out and, and uh, get this New Zealand trip done in February but anyway thanks for listening to New Spirit Podcast your reviews are always welcome catch up now I don't know about you but I love new gear and spearfishing.com.au have got a huge range mad flat shipping rate especially in Australia and if you use the code noobspero you not only support us but you get $20 off every purchase over $200 that's right pump in the code noobspero at checkout n-o-o-b-s-p-e-a-r-o at spearfishing.com.au and you will save 20 bucks on every purchase over $200 no brainer thanks Adreno Today's Noob Spirit podcast is also proudly brought to you in partnership with penetratorfins.com. Get on there, guys. Have a look at some of the designs they've got. They've got clears. The blacks are beautiful. Check out the Noob Spiro custom Oki print. It's mad as well. Larry's got a full range of wicker designs, and he's got beautiful finish on his fins. He's uh, recently updated his manufacturing process. It's even better than it was before. He makes some of the best fins in the world. And uh, to, to make that offer even sweeter... Pump in the code Noob Spiro at checkout and save another 20 bucks. Penetratorfins.com. Support the Noob Spiro podcast by shopping with our sponsor.